Hi church, good morning. My name is Danielle Couch and I am a covenant partner here and I have the honor of reading scripture this morning. This week we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark and we will study another confrontation between the Pharisees and Jesus. Our passage reveals how religious ritual is not enough to save us. The subversive reality of relationship is the revolution that we need. Jesus wants your heart. Hear the word of God in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Now when the Pharisees gathered him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is not from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as the doctrines, the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making it void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word, to gather into your presence. Uh, we long to be a people whose faith trusts you enough to allow you to hold our hearts in your hands. And Lord, the words that Danielle just read is the intro to our passage, that the subversive reality of relationship is the revolution that we need we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would please uh, work that reality out in our hearts as we study your word. We pray you'd speak to us and make us more like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. I add my greetings to those you've already heard. If you have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 7, please leave them open. If you don't have them open, uh, we can get you a Bible or find one on your phone. We want to get into the word together. Uh, right now... We need the reality of relationship with Jesus more than ever. Too often we settle for religious ritual or just routine and we miss the substance that Jesus invites us into as our savior and having a personal relationship with him. We have seen recently in the study of Mark that political authorities are threatened by the advancement in the authority of King Jesus. You remember Herod calling uh, in his dealings with John the Baptist. 
Today we see how politi- uh, religious authorities are also threatened. In the same way, the announcement of the kingdom of God through God himself, Jesus Christ, in the advancement of that is a threat. You see that in the opening verses. Verse one, the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who, pay attention, had come from Jerusalem. Now, the Pharisees were on a mission. It was like a fact-finding mission to figure out who this subversive king and his authority and his teaching was. Now, let me give you a little bit of insight about who the Pharisees are. They're clearly the bad guys of this passage and throughout the, the gospel of Mark, uh, but I don't think we're, we're too far removed from them. You see, Palestine at the time was an occupied territory. The rule of Rome governed the land. And before Rome, it was Greece. Before Greece, it was Persia. Before Persia, it was Babylon. Uh, Since exile from the land, the land of Palestine was under occupation. And the Pharisees find their heritage that goes all the way back uh, to different uh, uh, teachers of the law that wanted to bring freedom to the people of God. And because exile had happened, because they had rejected God's word and had worshiped the gods of their culture, they began to put rules around rules around rules. And they really believed that their keeping their religion would be their rescue from occupation. Now, all of us can identify with this sense of feeling like we live in an occupied territory right now. This is very difficult times for many people. Last week, we, we, saw, we talked about how uh, the shortages of supply, the shortages of strength that we particularly see, and we've prayed for last week with our medical uh, hospitals in our city, our doctors, our workers, our teachers, those are in education, and there's a lot of short supply. And the authority of Jesus, the validation of him as king, and, and his, the authority of his word is seen that when we take what we have and we put it in his hands then he is pleased to bless it and multiply it for his kingdom to authenticate himself as king and his word as authoritative. But it's not just about what we have putting into his hands. We're going to see it's also about putting our hearts into his hands. And this, this is another aspect of feeling like we're in an occupied territory. The headlines all throughout our world are really giving a lot of heartache. The images, the stories that we see out of Afghanistan are plain and simple tragic. I talked to lots of veterans, several, not lots, who have had trauma triggered, and they feel like all that they gave and sacrificed for, of which we're very, very grateful for our veterans, is just going up in vapor. It's heavy stuff. But not only that, the, the partisan reaction to all of that the division, the grenades that are being launched, the fighting, anxiety is pricked and promoted, fear seems to be cultivated, and we have to ask ourselves, we, we can identify with living in this oppressed land. What's the antidote? Is the antidote for God to intervene to bring rescue and freedom, is it found in our own work, our own performance, our own religious ritual? Or is there a greater reality that God's grace invites us into? You see, the religion that seeks to manipulate God, that is religion breaking bad. 
And when it gets to the worst possible place in the scriptures, it leads to the crucifixion of an innocent person, Jesus Christ. Religion breaking bad in our world, it leads to devastation, it leads to destruction, and it's frankly the driver of all the tragedy we are watching in Afghanistan in the name of religion. And here's what you need to know. It reflects how we see God as if he's some sort of uh, genie that we can manipulate with our actions. It also reflects the low level we see ourselves in our own sin and our need for a savior. Religious ritual, it wasn't enough for the Pharisees to find the rescue that they needed. Jesus comes with this reality of subversion, the reality of relationship. That is the revolution we need. And grace is the ground that we stand on. But the Pharisees didn't believe it. And so they continued their fact-finding mission. And what did they find? They discovered disciples that were defiled. Look at this. Uh, it says that they saw some of his disciples. They ate with their hands that were defiled. That is unwashed. <gasps> you say, was my grandmother right? Is cleanliness next to godliness? No, that's not the point. It isn't the point. I'm sorry, but cultural idioms are not enough to capture the heart of God for you. This is about something greater. Not about religion that breaks bad, that focuses on ritual and routine, but about a God who wants relationship and he wants your heart. Well, you say, Mitchell, why were these fact-finding Pharisees so interested in diagnosing the the defiled disciples' hands? Holy cow, I feel like I'm in a Dr. Seuss move book right now I will not eat them with this word I will okay sorry why the washing okay here's the deal all good things can be twisted and distorted and become bad things the good thing God wants to dwell as people the good thing God made his presence dwell with his people in the tabernacle and the temple the good thing God told Aaron and his sons that the way that you represent the people is by totally cleansing your hands and your feet. Exodus chapter 30, verse 19. So that you can represent them when you go into the Holy of Holies. Good thing. God dwelling with his people. Good thing. Sacrifice made. Well, what happens when God's people are taken in exile and they go out of the land in Babylon and then they come back to the land and it's occupied? That good thing becomes a bad thing. The written law of Moses turns into an oral law. In these Pharisees, heritage of the Pharisees, these teachers of the law, they said, we were vomited from the land because we broke God's law. Let's create laws upon laws upon laws so we make sure we don't do that again. So Aaron and his, his sons, they had to cleanse themselves to go into the presence of God. We want the presence of God. So now everybody has to wash their hands and cleanse themselves. And if you don't do that, then you're defiled and God's not gonna be here and we wanna be rescued because we don't wanna live in an occupied land anymore. But the religion and the ritual, it can't rescue. There's a subversive reality of relationship. All of these laws that were added orally, they were in the tradition of what's called the Mishnah. There were over 600 laws. They had everything to do with hands to hair and other realities. Later codified, written down in the Talmud. And they're all there if you want to read them. You can read this. 
But the ceremonial cleansing of washing their hands, it wouldn't really set them apart. They pass this down, you can see in the passage in verse 3. Look at your Bibles. It says that the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. They washed hands, they washed bowls, all of this ceremonial cleansing because the elders had passed it down. A good thing, one in God's presence in a bad way, trying to manipulate God through their own actions. And then they, then they even get into managing in the marketplace. They looked for holy hygiene, verse 4. They came from the marketplace and they did not eat unless they washed. And there were many other traditions that they observed, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dinner couches. <laughs> I love that, like, inclusion. Are you paying attention? It's like you had to wash all these things and your dinner couch. And you're like, dinner couch? Like, what in the world's your dinner couch? You know, I don't have a dinner couch. I've got several teenagers, and if I had a dinner couch, I would need that thing, like, dry cleaned every other day, you know? But there were all these traditions, and even in the marketplace, maybe especially in the marketplace, they had this felt need for purity. And I thought, how can I help capture the sense of urgency they had for cleanliness, to be cleansed? And kids, how many kids we got in here? Kids, if you're a young kid, there's a lot of kids. If some of the adults are raising your hand, I'm going to tell you a story that you're going to remember about one of my kids. If you're a parent or you've been in a family where your, your brother and sister or somebody has to potty train a kid, you know that that's a long process, right? It's hard to potty train kids, and you always want to potty train your kids at home. It's a clean, safe environment, and you have one goal that has two parts. The one goal is don't go in your pants. Go in the potty. See, so yeah, one goal, go in the potty, two parts. And that's all you focus on. You need to go potty, let's go into the bathroom, go into the potty, don't go into your pants. Well, there comes a time, and a parent needs to pay attention at this point, that the kid graduates from the private home bathroom into a public restroom. Public restrooms are really super disgusting. And I want to tell you a true story that happened. I had coached my son, I had trained my son, and I knew that he could conquer. One goal, go in the potty, two parts, don't go in your pants, all right? I'm standing over to the side, I'm like, all right, son, don't forget, go in the potty. And look, if you, you know, have you seen the movie Monsters, Inc.? You know, like, like urinals are in guys' bathrooms, and inside a urinal, there's like a little urinal cake. It's not really cake. It's something really gross. I really don't know why they're in there. But I'm, I'm over here like this, just go in the bathroom, and I hear my son say, I did, Dad, but what's this? I turn around, and my son is holding a urinal cake. And I'm looking at him, and I say, oh, my goodness. I said, put it down and slowly walk away. And I took him over, and I turned the water on, and we washed our hands for like 20 minutes. The sense of urgency to get those germs off your hands. That is honestly how the Pharisees felt. That when you went to the marketplace and you were around Gentiles, then you needed to be cleansed. Get those germs off of you. And how dare you eat food without washing and let those germs go inside of you. You want to remain an oppressed people forever? Do you ever want God to come back? We have got to be cleansed. 
And we do that through our own performance. Wash! I don't care if you have to sing happy birthday like nine times. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you. Wash your hands! That was the point. And they came right at Jesus. Look at verse 5. And they, they come, and this isn't like a real question. This is a campaign of defamation. They say, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands? They weren't really asking that question. They were really saying, if you're a rabbi, a teacher of the law, why do you edit out? the Mishnah, all the oral tradition of the law, and don't you care about this bigger goal about getting in contact with God so that he can rescue us and save us? And Jesus goes on offense as a response. He doesn't just take it. I was talking to my boys yesterday, and we were talking about characters of, characteristics of Jesus. And one of them says, well, he's nice. I said, well, he's not always nice. And he said, yes, Jesus is always nice. And I said, well, I hope you're paying attention to more in church because we're going to read, Jesus isn't always nice. He's actually really direct for people who are prideful, who are arrogant and autonomous, and they don't think they need the grace of God to be restored in a relationship with God. Jesus speaks directly and he uses God's word as kind of like a boom, drop the mic moment. Look at this. And Jesus said to them, well, Isaiah prophesied of all you hypocrites. Okay, thank you, Jesus. All you hypocrites. You know what a hypocrite is? That's someone that literally wears a mask. And they pretend to be something in one place, and they turn around, and they are a whole other person in another place. It's a term that was used in drama, acting at the time. Jesus calls them hypocrites. And not only hypocrites here, but my favorite place where we see this M&A moment between Jesus and the disciples, Matthew 27. And I encourage you actually to read it later. Jesus has tough talk for Pharisees. He, he calls them uh, filthy cups that look good on the outside. You know those cups. You know those coffee cups that like somebody, your roommate or somebody in your house, they ate like a dessert or something out of it. I don't know why. And then they let it get real hard. And then they just kind of clean it up and they put it in your cabinet and you go to get a coffee cup in the morning and you're like, oh, finally a coffee cup. Oh my gosh, what's that? It's so useless. Get rid of that cup. He calls them whitewashed tombs. That is, they look good, nice and mowed. They got uh, tombstones that are white. But there's death inside. Jesus does not treat Pharisees very kindly. He calls them serpents. He calls them sons of hell. So this word hypocrite has a lot of import. And he uses God's word to really come down from the top ropes on him. He says from the prophet Isaiah, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching doctrines as commandments of men. It's unbelievable. Why are they hypocrites? Two reasons. First, image management. They look good on the outside, but on the inside they're rotting. Dirty coffee cup cleaned up grave with death inside. I don't want to get too much in your kitchen today. Image management. If we care more about people thinking we're religious and people knowing the good works that we do than allowing our religious participation and good works to be glorifying to God and be motivated just to show the love of God because we've been loved, then we can identify with the Pharisees. 
image management. Second, they prioritize the tradition of people over the proclamation of the word of God. It says it clearly, their lips speak truth, but their heart is far from them. In vain they worship, teaching doctrines as commandments of men. Uh, Pharisees uh, pass down the traditions and make void the word of God. John Calvin says that tradition is a good guide, but it's a horrible master. Our only master is Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church. He's the Lord God himself. And he doesn't want your religious ritual. He wants your heart. Your religious ritual is not going to manipulate God to intervene. He wants your heart. And Jesus gives a three-verse example here, verses 6 to 9. And he talks about how they've made void the sixth commandment, that you should honor your father and mother. He uses that commandment, and he does other times. He uses marriages in God's design because marriage and family matter in the fabric of God's society. But specifically, it was possible for them, according to their traditions handed down by people, that they could take their whole estate and dedicate it to the temple. All of this is going to God. And the only person that could withdraw from it was themselves for their own good, their own needs. And that when their parents who were aging and and sick and needed financial help, they didn't have to give it to them. So they made void the word of God for their own convenience. They eliminated a commandment of God, the sixth commandment, for their own comfort. And that's the example that he gives And in verse 13 is something we all need to see. If you have a Bible, look. Jesus finishes that example by, he says, you make void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. You want to talk about dirty hands? Dirty hands are not the ones that haven't washed before they eat. Dirty hands, those are the ones that hand down traditions of people and reject the word of God like the Heisman. Because what we hold closer to our heart, the people and the priorities of our culture and our comfort mean more. Friends, God wants your heart. So what is the solution, right? The solution is for me to give you three more rules that you need to follow so that you can be in a right relationship with God, right? Yeah. Why do we like rules? Because we can check a box, because we can control them, because we can feel better about ourselves. And guess what? More rules are not the answer. The answer is total surrender. It's faith. It's faith in giving your heart to God. And if you want to have the strength that you need to make it through life in an occupied time, then you need to understand the strength that you'll find when you surrender to your Savior. And here we go. I got a double acronym to you for you today. Are you ready for that? This is just what God put on my heart as I prayed for you. Here's the deal. We're going to use the word heart. And the heart is a muscle. And the heart muscle receives blood through the what? Do you know? The veins. Somebody said veins. And it sends out oxygenated blood through the what? The arteries, a muscle that receives and gives. We're going to focus on the, on, the, on, the, uh, on the veins first because what comes out of our heart signifies whether or not we have a new heart 
okay? So what does it look like to fully surrender? First, be honest with yourself, honest with your sin, honest with the gospel, honest with your need for a savior, honest with the holiness of God, honest with your utter, utter, utter failures. You're not a cow, you're total failures. And if you do have an utter failure, we do have some dairy farmers here that can help you. <laughs> but don't just be honest with your sin in the gospel. Put everything on the table. I mean everything. Confess your sin. Here's the truth. You're more sinful than you let on. It's true. You are more sinful than you let on. But you are more loved than you dream. And we have got to repent of our sin, even of our good works that we have used to try to manipulate God. Put it all on the table. Abide in the Lord. And when you abide in God, it will yield fruitful obedience in your life. Repent and make it a regular rhythm. Repent of your sin. Repent of your missing the mark. Repent. God already knows your sin. It's like the woman at the well. She's talking to Jesus and he comes up to her and he says, go find your husband. She's like, well, I don't have a husband, yeah, right? I'm going to image manage here. I don't have a husband. Come on. He says, I know you don't. You've had five husbands and the dude you're living with now is not your husband. I fully see you and I fully love you. Put it all on the table. Repent, 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 and take Jesus's work more serious than your own. That is when unconditional love will be magnified. I had a conversation with a guy this week. I love that people trust me and talk with me. I love it. But he was having such a difficulty in believing that he could be forgiven for his sin. Hey, I get it. Our sin is amazingly difficult to understand how God can forgive if he's holy. But there comes a time when you have got to take Jesus's work more serious than your own. His faithfulness is greater than your failures. His love for you is greater than what you lost in your sin and rebellion. His grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in weakness. Friends, in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation. You are forgiven. He became sin so that you can become the righteousness of God. And we lose our gospel power, the true revolution that we need, because we take our own work more serious than Jesus. His grace is big enough to forgive all your sins, period. Or maybe, should I say, exclamation point. And the real way to find cleansing is not to ritually wash our hands or do any other thing ceremonial, but it is to, 1 John 1, 9, boom, confess your sins. He's faithful and he's just to forgive you of your sins and to what? Purify you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the gospel. But what about the blood coming into the heart? We can't just give, give, right? Well, this is the second part of the acronym, and here's where I'm going to get you. If you're honest with God, with all your sin, all your need for the gospel, then you can truly hope in him. He is your only hope. You need hope right now. You want Jesus to be your only hope? Then put everything on the table. And when you put everything on the table, I'm going to promise you something. He will show you how he is working everything for your good and his glory. He promises to do that. When you abide in him and to remain in his love and remain in him, you will see your affection for him grow. 
your love for him and his kingdom. And when your repentance is regular, then you will have a front row seat to watch redemption take place in your life and everywhere around you. Jesus is on the throne and he promises, I am making all things new. You wanna see it? Repent and repent and watch his redemption take root. And finally, if you take Jesus's work more serious than your own, then you will be together with Jesus in everything. He promises, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. My authority is with you even into the end of the age. You believe it? Lord, give us faith. I have put myself at the front of the line. It's so much easier to focus on my own religious ritual. I just needed to stop and pray. Lord, give us faith. For those that are trapped in bondage, Give them freedom. For those that are living in condemnation, help them to find the redemption that you offer. Help our hearts to fully be put into your hand by faith, surrendering to you so that we can have the substance, the revolution that you design through the reality of relationship with you. Lord, we believe. Will you help us with our unbelief? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.